This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and we don't know about anyone else, but we can already smell the turkey around here. That could just be my aftershave, right? I've been talking to you about that. <laughs> For everyone else, Thanksgiving is coming, and besides the turkey, your dinner table will probably have more food on it than a Las Vegas casino buffet. So what wine goes with Thanksgiving? Just about all of them. Well, yeah, actually, but this is a wine show, so we're going to give you more specific advice. Well, I'm serious. Any wine you love, it'll go with Thanksgiving food. And so will we. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. This is Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. Today we're talking turkey, Thanksgiving wines, and more. We have lots of questions from listeners, and as usual, we will make fun of wine snobs. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're talking about Thanksgiving food and wine because, well, I'm kind of hungry. You're always hungry. Yeah, but this is a special holidays and turkey hungry. So let's talk about Thanksgiving wines. But before we do that, I want to pass along a Thanksgiving food serving tip. I got this from a very good friend of mine, a guy named Danny Arigo. He's the executive chef at Roxy Restaurant in Sacramento, and he talked about how to not run out of turkey. This is what they do in restaurants, by the way. Mm-hmm, if it's a mm-hmm. buffet... They start with the salad. So they have the salad first, right. then the bean casserole, then the potatoes, and then all the precious stuff like the the uh, stuffing and the turkeys at the far end when, A, you got no much no more room on your plate, and, B, it looks like you've already taken too much, so you only take a little. So how does this work for somebody like me who always grabs a plate and races to the far end of the buffet? You are the kind of people, person that we worry about at these things. So, so if, if whoever's inviting Paul to Thanksgiving, keep an eye on him. That's all I'm saying. All right, so let's talk about um, – we were sort of joking about it at the top of the show, but the, it's true. All kinds of wines go with Thanksgiving. Yep. Um, and, and why is that? Well, because, first of all, Thanksgiving has so many different kinds of foods in it. Yeah. You got, you got cranberry sauce, which is a pretty unusual kind of thing. We don't normally eat something like that with meat. I usually have cranberry sauce for lunch, just a bowl. Uh, just a bowl of cranberry sauce. Yes. Okay, yes. good. Well, uh, I'm thinking, you know, it's sweet. It's a little tart. So that's one thing that we don't usually have on the dinner table. Then you got sweet potatoes, and some people even add marshmallows to the sweet potatoes. So you got really, really sweet potatoes. And on the other end of the spectrum, you got creamed onions, you got baked potatoes, you got the turkey. So all of that together, man, you could go from sweet wine to dry wine, relatively light to pretty darn heavy. Yeah, and then there's always the side dish that somebody brought and the extra special thing. The Brussels sprouts. You know what? You know, the one food that really sort of does not often show up on Thanksgiving table is steak. Right. So I would say the one wine that probably doesn't go with Thanksgiving is Cabernet. Yeah, that, you know, a, a, a soft, lighter Cabernet might, but you're right. The big, heavy Petite Syrah. Yeah. That those big, those big, red big wines. heavy red wines, probably not the best choice. But you know what? My father-in-law loves big, rich red wines, and for Thanksgiving, that's yeah. what he wants on the table, and he's going to be happy with well, it. Well, that is our fundamental food and wine pairing rule around here, of course, is that get wine you like, get food you like, and just go with it. Yes, but, yes. Um, we're going to break these down into more specific uh, sort of courses on, on wines, though, because we are going to give some advice. Right. Um, but we still wanna also want to have one other piece of wine advice— before we get to the actual wine, which is, I don't care how dumb your your family you is. Well, you are, because you know, we're talking about your family here. Um, but, talking you know, about your family, yes. Rick, not my family. Well, my, my family. We don't want that. Don't get me started. 
But a, 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 it's a, this is a family gathering. It's not yes. a one up, upsmanship contest. Although Lord knows it's probably going to degenerate into that at some point. But don't let it happen about the wine. Yes, do not. Or no, yes. Whatever the agreement word there is, <laughs> do not let it happen about the wine. Yeah. Yeah. And um, if you think about it, if you are hosting a party, your primary job as a host of the party is to make people happy. If you know if my father-in-law arrives and he likes big, rich red wines, I'm going to have a bottle of that on the table. If my Aunt Larry arrives, she loves white Zinfandel, and I'll have a bottle of white Zinfandel. It's not my job to teach them to like something different. It's my job to serve them something they're going to enjoy. Yeah, of all the meals, uh, this is not the one. Yeah. And That's you, right. What you can do, and I mean, I run around and do this, um, but um, because I can't help myself. But I say, hey, try this with that. See what you think, especially like before the meal. I'm saying, see right. what you, but, I, but it's always see what you think. And partly it's because I actually want to know. Right. You know, in part right. because I'm using this. Actually, what I'm using my family for is a focus group. Because, guinea pigs. Well, yeah. Because, you know, they eat guinea pigs in South America. <laughs> I thought you were going to say my family, but we have not in, gen- <laughs> in at least one generation as far as I know. But it really is. They're my focus group. And so uh, so I if I like the wine with something, that's one thing. But I sometimes want to know if it's something I want to use for a class. Sure. And so, sure. You know, so, you know, and if you're on the other end of that for somebody who's walking around with the wine and saying, try this, that's totally cool. But yeah, It's a lot of fun. I mean, people – like coming to my house because they know there's going to be interesting stuff. But I want to go back to Aunt Larry. Actually, White Zinfandel, yep. actually a pretty good wine with a lot of the foods we serve at Thanksgiving. Okay, and I need to break, uh, go sideways. Um, we were we, we were talking about how we have this tendency to be a little uh, attention deficit here, but this is one case. <laughs> Wait, what were we talking about? Uh, I can't even remember. I think it's your Aunt Larry. Aunt Larry has come up a lot. You yep. need to tell us, is Aunt Larry an Uncle Larry who is an aunt or an Aunt Larry who uses Larry? No, nah, it's actually sort of a joke, but I, I literally used to have – I had an aunt and an uncle, and the nickname for the aunt was Mike. And so I had an Aunt Mike. And her husband was Uncle Don, so I had Uncle Don and Aunt Mike. I don't know how she got the name, but ever since then, we've had a joke about having an Aunt Larry in the house. All right. Okay. Well, and and Aunt Larry does like white sim. And she does. All right. So let's talk about the the kinds of things. Um, Like we said, we're we're starting with this premise that any wine's good. But if there are some specific suggestions— Let's first talk about like all of those foods that come out before the meal, the cheeses and right. the spreads and right. stuff. Suggestions. Okay, so can I go on a little rant here? Be- can I stop you? No, I don't could think that possibly you can. happen? No, I think you could try, but I don't think it would work. Uh, all right. Warning, um, Paul's ranting. So here's the deal. A lot of this stuff that we serve as appetizers, in Europe they serve after dinner because it's yeah. actually really strongly flavored yeah, foods. Yeah. You know, people put a cheese tray out there that's got blue cheese and cheddar cheese and jalapeno. If you want to snack on something and you want to leave your palate relatively fresh and ready for something bigger like a turkey, then you ought to start with lighter foods and save the big, powerful foods for later. So having said that... It's not going to happen. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> so once you got the big old heavy foods out there, you can serve anything you want with Right, it. right. Although uh, you and I have talked about this in the past, one of my favorite uh, for the start of the... Uh, especially a Thanksgiving meal is a good sparkling wine, yep. any kind of sparkling yep. wine. Yep, bubbly, bubbly is always a good way to start, among other things, because it goes, um, you know, the alcohol is absorbed straight through your membranes in your mouth in addition through, through your stomach. So you actually really get lit up almost before you sit down. 
and that Which means is one way to deal with your family. That's exactly how you deal with your family. You <laughs> give everybody two glasses of sparkling wine, and <laughs> all of us. Well, the happy drunks are happy, yeah. and the unhappy ones, you they sit at the children's table. Yeah, that's true. And the happy drunks don't even notice that unhappy ones. <laughs> um, but it is also a great wine with all of those strong foods. Sparkling wine is yep. so good with cheeses yep. and bright foods. Sparkling wine is a great. A wine with. On the other hand, if you want to go the other direction, I'd look at some relatively low alcohol, lighter bodied white wines. Oh, yeah. Think of them as sort of aperitif wines. Like and a Riesling? Look, uh, Riesling yeah. goes there. Yeah. Vinho Verde oh, from yeah. Portugal is another nice little combo there. Mm-hmm. That They're light, they're fun, they're easy to drink. They're seven, eight, nine, right. maybe 10% alcohol. And so also, you, they're also cheaper. So if you're trying to keep your budget down, those light alcohol whites, leave like it to you to for point sure. out yeah. how you can be cheap. I'm, that's my job. It's what I do. It's how I think. What can I say? All right. Meals coming. We were talking now. The big, all these flavors. Oh, yeah. But you got to put a couple balls on the wine. You're the host, for example, or you're bringing. Yep. So, um, you know, there are a couple of, uh, you know, we. I used to have to write a column every year, what wine goes with Thanksgiving. Yes. And, and there was my, my first reach was always Pinot Noir because it goes with so many things. Right. Pinot Noir is, as Evan Goldstein, the master sommelier, says, it's the chicken soup of wines because it goes with everything. It, it, you know, makes you feel good and it matches up with everything. It's a hug in a bottle. So sure, Pinot Noir, but you know, I'm going to go the the other direction and say that as long as it doesn't have tons of oak in it, a good Chardonnay is also a really good combination with with Thanksgiving turkey. I completely agree. In fact, I just did an event. I did a tasting at this. I do 30 Thursday Bistro in Sacramento for anybody's in Sacramento. um, First Thursday, uh, self-promotional plug there. But we did uh, did wines with Thanksgiving foods, and that's exactly what we did. How many turkeys did you have to eat to get through this particular— well, it was uh, no. It actually wasn't turkeys. It was Thanksgiving style food. It was only forty people in the, the oh, okay. chef. The chef uh, okay. at uh, thirty three made some really killer food. But the point was, the foods were very Thanksgiving style. And one flight was rich chardonnays. Everybody loved them. One right. tra- flight was pinot noir. Everybody loved them. And the third was, and I've always liked this, was a not over the top alcoholic zin, a less than alcoholic zin, but uh-huh. zinbindol, yeah. spicy, yeah. fruity yeah. zins. It's another wine yeah. that's really adaptive yeah. to all those fall flavors. So then I'm going to throw in a couple of, I agree with the light-bodied zin, but I'm going to say light-bodied red wines in general. Yeah, Pinot true. Noir true. fits that category, but also a couple of things in Italy like Dolcetto or Valpolicella work very nicely, and actually Beaujolais, yeah. not a bad turkey wine as well. And then on the white side, I think because you got the sweet potatoes, because you got the cranberry sauce and you got those sweet creamed onions and stuff, off dry whites. And that can be anything from a slightly sweet Viognier, uh, Furmint from Hungary, uh, I don't even know that wine. Say that wine again. Lots of Furmint. Well, sure. Sure. Absolutely. But lots of anything. Go into a wine shop and say, I'm having turkey dinner, and I want something off dry from somewhere around the world that I've never had before. And do then you become Rick Cushman, and you get to turn to all your guests and say, we got three bottles of wine on the table. Why don't you try all three and see which one we like best? And if you become Rick Cushman, don't forget to spill. That's the other <laughs> That's thing. That's right. Um, and That's then, right. And then the last part of the meal, and we'll do this quickly, so this is not the world's longest segment, is dessert. Oh yeah, and and dessert. You know, you we've say this a lot around here, which is that with dessert, your wine should always be sweeter than your food because wine has acid in it. Yeah, and if you have, if and you, you know have, what, Thanksgiving desserts are really sweet. Oh, they are really sweet. So you got to go for something really sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. and there's a couple that I that I tend to reach for. But what are you? What are your preferences? Well, I would go. I mean, I'm thinking because what we have is is pumpkin chiffon pie for dessert. So very sweet, very creamy. I love like a very sweet late harvest Gewurztraminer because yeah, yeah. it's got the pumpkin spice to it. 
or just flat out sweet, everything from Moscato to uh, Asti Spumanti to anything that's got a ton of sugar in it. Yeah, that late harvest white, like a verse, is actually one of mine. The other is a tawny port. Because uh-huh. the nuttiness in yep. the tawny port sometimes, you know, there's always the pecans on top of the pie and that sort of thing. And nuttiness is big in your family. It is. <laughs> You've been there. You know. <laughs> All right. You're there listening to a Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Up next, we will take some questions. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and it's time to open our mailbag and take questions from listeners. If you'd like to ask us a question that we can answer on the show, go to rickandpaulwine.com. And if you're new to us, and by the way, uh, that's uh, totally fine. If you're new to us and you don't know us, you're actually kind of lucky. I'd Uh, say. But you might want to (laughs) know what qualifies us to answer questions. We need qualifications? No, we're just doing it anyway. uh, Okay. Okay. But that's... uh, so anyway, let me tell you a little bit about my friend Paul here. He's a respected industry pro. He answers questions on allexperts.com, teaches at Napa Valley College, the Culinary Institute of America, and around the world, including cruises now and then, which makes me a little jealous. Um, but he has lost credibility over years because he's become my friend. That's right. I've associated with Rick Cushman, really who, which, to be fair, you m- managed to trick a large number of people into buying a book because true. New York Times bestseller about wine, uh, longtime journalist and chairman of the or chief judge of the California State Fair wine competition, where you sit up on an elevated dais yeah. and with a big golden hammer and pound it on. Well, never mind. It's not the hammer, but we are up on a dais. I, I'm making sure that the these people are all doing their jobs and not just giggling. That's right. Yeah, right. That's right. All right. So our what fir- do we got in the bag? Here? We've got a few. Our first question comes from Jill McCarthy in Fresno, who, by the way, is one of our regular listeners. She's asked another question before. A regular one, listener. One, two. How many regular listeners do you think we have? Look, I'm happy to have that one. One. Don't okay, push good. It. Yes. Okay. This <laughs> God bless you, Jill McCarthy. <laughs> thank, thank you, Jill. Um, <laughs> this is a question. her question. Sometimes I get headaches from drinking wine, and no jokes about moderation, please. What's worse, red or white? Yeah, that's a really good question because actually the headaches may, in fact, come from the alcohol. Right. Uh, right. There's there's absolutely a, a possibility of that. One thing I would recommend, and it's something that we do in the business all the time, two glasses of water for every glass of wine because you want to stay hydrated. Hydrate, alcohol actually dehydrates your cells. So if you drink water in, in addition to drinking wine, that will help. Uh, red wines tend to have slightly more histamines. White wines tend to have slightly more sulfites, but those are small things, and I think you're better off just drinking more water. Yeah. Dilutes the effects. Yeah, and, and we should point out that um, the, it, these are real glasses of wine, not the same three or four ounces of, of, of water, I'm sorry, and not the three or four ounces of wine. We're right. saying have a glass of water, real glass of water versus your glass of wine. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. And, you know, the um, it, you're talking about red, and, and um, it, there are – I mean, when – I was asked to do a speech for a bunch of doctors once. They wanted, they, <laughs> I know, I know. They asked me about what the, did, the what health. What did they want you to talk to about? To talk about the health benefits and the health issues on wine. Oh, excellent. Now, I'm thinking they're doctors. They're doctors. Right? They're Why? supposed to know this, is this way backward? more than you. <laughs> yes. But what I did actually was I called a couple <laughs> friends of mine that who are docs and had done right. some research on this. Yes. And they said there's something like 200 compounds in wine yep. that can give you headaches. Yep. But they said that the ones that show up the most 
tend to be the things that um, that are in more in red than in white. So, but right. it, well, after alcohol, because alcohol starts it. Number right. one. Right. So it's the you know it's the bioamines, which are basically histamines. You know, we take an antihistamine when right. we're um, well. Yeah, you are not recommending. I am not that people d- who get headaches from histamines in wine take an antihistamine and then drink wine. That I, would be not medically advisable. I am not even recommending uh, taking a non-drowsy daytime antihistamine, even though I know some people who do it and find it successful. I am completely not. Not recommending it. I think it's a very bad idea. I'm just saying I've seen it done and it works, but I'm not recommending it. <laughs> I'm just saying this is this man is not a doctor and he doesn't play yes, one on the do radio not, show. Do not, either. Like, there's two kinds of things I say in the world is do not take advice from me in the terms in the world of medicine or finances. So, there you go. And especially this one. So I think we're gonna move along very quickly before we get into any more trouble. All right. Our next question comes from Lynette Sanchez in Sacramento. And she asked. What's that funny French wine where everybody races around? A friend bought some at Thanksgiving last year, and I pretended to like it, but it kind of tasted like grape juice. She is, of course, talking about uh, Beaujolais Nouveau. That's right. And it's not not the thing that it used to be. Um, The quick history, and then Paul's going to tell you what's in it, but a quick history. This this actually only goes back to like 1951. Right. Um, And it was a marketing ploy, really. Yeah. Nasty marketing guys are responsible for everything. Oh, Oh, yeah. I have one in the room. Yes. Um, But it was was the French where it was a way to get their sort of the new wine. It's very fresh wine. It's made in a way that's very fresh. And they used to race it from the vineyards. To the to the cafes in Paris. That's right. And um, and and it, it was kind of cool because they'd fly it in biplanes and they had guys who'd write, drive race cars and the whole thing was right. Whoever got to Paris first with the Beaujolais Nouveau. Right. Won. Yeah. I don't know what they won. Yeah, they well, won. they won the cachet, I think. But what happened right. was they started. Well, two things changed. One in um, in 1985, they they, they uh, ruled it. It's the third 12:01 a.m. So right after midnight on the third Thursday, because it's a drinking night. So that was very much about the every the, night in France. Well, is a that's drinking true too. Night, I think. But also a lot of the distributors just stacked them um, in there. Yeah, in, of course. In, in, of and course. waited for it yeah. because. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But nonetheless, um, that's what it is, and that's why like, yeah. those. Waiters races and things are all sort of around Bouchelin. Yeah. So, so what what do you think of that wine, Paul? Well, see, this is fun because I, you know, there are a lot of even serious wine people who tell you Beaujolais Nouveau is really crummy wine. First of all, Beaujolais actually a part of Burgundy, right? Um, and and which is by the way different when you hear the term Cru Beaujolais. Those are actually good wines. Yeah, and and and. Beaujolais being a region in Burgundy, they make a couple of different kinds of wines. And you're right. Cru means it comes from a specific place there, and they make it more like, say, a Pinot Noir, and it has some of that same characteristics. But Beaujolais Nouveau is made, I'm going to argue, pretty much the way wine was made for thousands of years before we had bottles and corks. It's fermented. They just toss everything in the tank together, mash it up. They, sometimes they, I mean, the whole berry, so they don't even crush it. They just right, right, toss right. it all in there, start it fermenting. It ferments as quickly as possible. They press it off of that. It's wine. I mean, it's literally you're drinking on the 15th of November. You're drinking wine that was picked, say, early October, late September. So you're drinking wine that's aged uh, six weeks, maybe a little more. Um, it's very fresh. It's very fruity. She's absolutely right. It yeah, does taste like grape juice. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, that's, a, that's exactly right. It is a grapiness to it. I've yeah, always yeah. thought there was like a tutti-frutti bubblegummy thing to it, too. It is. Yeah. 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 But it's yeah. fun. And, it is totally fun. You know, it's it's not something you'd want to drink every night, but there are times it is actually not a bad pizza. 
uh, not a bad hamburger wine. It's also not bad with, and because it shows up at Thanksgiving, although yeah, uh, right. not bad with that first course that we were not talking about. Not bad with Thanksgiving food. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay, we are going to close up the mailbag for a moment. We will have more questions in the second half of the show. If you'd like to ask us a question that we can answer on the air, go to rickandpaulwine.com. Actually, we don't have to be able to answer it, do we? Well, you can ask us a question, and we will fumble with it on the air. How's that? <laughs> yeah, We will probably not give you anything useful. Coming up, some bad writing from people who should know better. We will be right back. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Those restrained dulcet notes mean it's time for our regular attempt to bring you some really horrible wine writing in a feature we call Really Horrible Wine Writing. So, uh, you know, well, there's plenty of it out there. So, Paul, you uh, we both have wine reviews today. Tell me, uh, read me yours. Okay, here's one. Here's one. Now, tell me, Rick, does this make it sound like you want to put this wine in your mouth? Mushroomy, still a nice chunkiness, <laughs> rustic, good earthiness, foresty tones, dominated, I'm sorry, surprising texture and length after 30 minutes opened, spice, fruit, and peppermint stick like a candy cane. Wow, that's a flavor in wine. Um, do, can I guess what this is? You can try. I'm thinking this is something that Santa dropped off to sleigh as he went over northern Canada. Well, chunkiness. See, I was going to guess Pinot Noir, but then the chunkiness, I don't know. And then the spiciness. So is it, is it a Syrah? It's actually Pinot Noir. Good oh, it is Pinot Noir. So a Good, chunky a, Pinot Noir. A chunky Pinot Noir with, with candy cane. Oh, with candy cane, yeah. Well, you so know, this is your perfect Christmas wine. I guess, you know, right. It, you open it and you give the first glass to the reindeer because they like the mushroom chunkiness, earthiness, foresty tones. And then after it's been open for 30 minutes, Santa slugs down the rest with the candy cane. Yeah. That's, Perfect. That's uh, can't, yeah. That's, those are not flavors. Uh, and you know, for folks who are Pinot Noir lovers, you know, one of the one of the great joys of Pinot a good Pinot Noir is that it's silky. Yes. So uh, chunkiness. What, but he has this person has a nice chunkiness to his Pinot Noir or Pinot Noir. Chunky silk. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, mine. What do you is, got? Mine is uh, mine is just a runaway description. Zesty purple pink wine reflecting its youth and its jaunty spirit. A Ooh. little bit of overwriting here. Ooh, I can see the hat it's wearing yeah. already. This wine is dominated by the flavors of banana, strawberry, bubblegum, fig, pears, quince, cranberry sauce, sweet pie, and grape, and it's not to be missed. All right, so my first question is, when you have nine flavors, does that qualify as dominated? This sounds like Snow White. This sounds like a Disney, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. A Disney wine. Banana, strawberry, bubblegum, fig, pear, quince, cranberry sauce. It could be Snow sweet, White and the Seven sweet Flavors. Sweet pie. Yeah, great. And, and it's not to be missed. Um, so can you guess what this wine is? Well, it's purple pink, right? Right. So at least you know it's in the reddish category, That's right? right. And with all of that, I got to go. You know, actually, with the banana, I kind of go with uh, Beaujolais, but I'm going Zinfandel. Oh, you were so close. Was I? It is a Beaujolais. It's a Beaujolais. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, well, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what? Yeah. If they got me that close, I give them credit. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Except you know, let's hope they didn't get you to drink it because this sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You are listening to Bob Talk with Rick and Paul. We'll talk more about Thanksgiving and have a moment in wine history when we come right back. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Ah, the trumpets. 
That means we're going back in time because one of the many reasons we love wine is its connection to our history. So here's our historic history moment for this week, and we are staying in theme. Paul, what one's yours? Well, you know, Thanksgiving's supposed to be about that famous, although completely, completely fictional dinner between with the Indians and the pilgrims. And the question you might ask is, why did the pilgrims land at Plymouth Rock? And no, this is not a variation of the joke of why does the Statue of Liberty stand in New York Harbor? You know that joke, right? It, uh, it can't sit down. Because it can't sit down. Right. Uh, well, yeah, the reason no, they landed at Plymouth Rock— I thought it was because it was buried in Grant's tomb. <laughs> no, 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 it's Mrs. Grant. <laughs> okay. So, no, this one is, why did the ship land at Plymouth Rock? And the answer is actually they ran out of beer. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. were sailing across the ocean. Water in a ship after three months of travel is an undrinkable product. Right. right. And so the only thing they had that they could drink that would be healthy was beer— and when they ran out of beer, they were actually headed to Virginia, and they said, pull the ship over, we're out of beer, landed at Plymouth Rock, the rest is history. Yeah, and you know, that's actually something to understand about wine and beer and, and spirits, what was that for most of Western civilization, until Louis Pasteur basically invented microbiology, people really didn't know how to keep their water clean, and so what they mostly drank was something with alcohol because it didn't spoil. The wa alcohol could taste terrible, but they still drank alcohol, which is which kind of makes when you think about Western civilization in that way, it makes you realize that most of what we think about as great history happened with the slight buzz. Well, it just makes it seem that the pilgrims actually had an ultimate road trip because yeah. they were on there on the ship, drinking cruising beer. away, yeah. drinking beer. Yeah. Well, I have mine is actually about that 1621 feast that you contend is totally mythical. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, these are the the record, the recordings of this. Um, and actually, what's what for me? What's interesting about it, and not so much this feast, but Thanksgiving for really for a couple centuries, was that they were mostly turkey free. Right. Yeah, and you know, that right. di that dinner was allegedly the Native Americans brought deer, the uh, English brought, and these were this is really how they ate back then. The, the English right. brought ducks and geese and 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 pumpkin and squash, although not pie, uh, corn roots. And easy to gather local foods, and this is the part that I like because it includes clams and lobster and cod and in eel. fact, in fact, the early colonists got so sick of eating lobster that they thought it was absolutely a food for poor people. They hated eating right. it because it was so easy. You just go down there, you eat some more lobster. Yuck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lobster oh, for dinner lobster again. Lobster for dinner again. <laughs> Jeez, Louise, you. haven't you got any cod? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Bring on the cod. It really wasn't actually until the 1800s that Americans started to eat more turkey. And well, were, and that's when they started inventing this whole myth of, of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Absolutely, right. and there was there were lots of folks that were agitating for that um, yep. in in the early 1800s, and and among the the myths that they agitated about it, like the stories they agitated with these these turkey dinners with the turkeys dripping with gravy. But there was also a way that it worked into our culture, and especially in the early 1800s. And this is why wine and food, and this is more a food story really tell us about our history. If you start to think about what the life was like back then, cows were too valuable for giving milk, so you wouldn't be eating. They didn't eat a lot of beef. 
and there really didn't develop a, 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 prof- a professional a commercial cattle industry until the middle 1800s. Right. And, and also the show Rawhide, those, those two. Um, and, <laughs> I, think, you know, I think you're dating yourself, Rick. I think that was in the late 1800s. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, chickens were for eggs. Roosters were too tough. Uh, uh, geese and, and duck were hard to keep, although they caught them. Yep. And turkeys, they started to realize that turkeys were easy to raise, and one turkey would feed a lot, so they became the food well, for feasts. Plus, they were easy to find out in the woods, too. Because Absolutely. In fact, Benjamin Franklin wanted the official bird of the United States to be a turkey, not the gold, not the bald eagle. Um, yeah, and yeah. he got outvoted. Yes. Otherwise, who knows? We might be eating bald eagles for Thanksgiving. <laughs> that's, yeah, I, I don't. Which I'm, I'm, I would imagine a, tastes like fish. Since I would. That's what I thought they, they were going to taste like chicken, but that was. <laughs> that's me. And uh, in case anybody's keeping score, uh, Thanksgiving became a national holiday in 1863, declared so by Abraham Lincoln in the middle of the Civil War. In the middle of Civil War, yeah, yeah, yeah which tells you stuff. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's let's talk a little bit more about Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, one of the things that comes up at Thanksgiving is and. And all through the holiday season, so we're, we're giving you some advice early, is our friend the toast. Oh, yes. And, you know, there are, aren't really rules, but there are guidelines. Um, one, of my, one of my good guidelines is don't talk too long. Be short, be sweet, sit be, down. Yeah, and, and I would also say don't, you know, don't steal some old Irish saying about the road rising to meet the wind at your back kind of thing. Everybody's done that. <laughs> Especially with a bunch of people who may be creating their own wind at the back <laughs> well, there's at the that Thanksgiving too. table. Yeah, 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 there's, there's that too. But there actually are a couple of, um, there are a couple of other guidelines too. You know, one of them is let the host start. You know, uh-huh. We, uh-huh. You know it's it, people tend to, you know, I mean, in, in, in a... Well-intentioned thing. We all, you know, you'd like to give thanks and thanks and thank the hosts. But really, right. it's the hosts' call. They're the, they're the person. Whether it's the boy or the girl running the show, they're the host is the person to to start the toasting. Um, and it is yeah, a, but what do you do if they don't do that, Rick? I mean, well, what do you do? You're sitting around the table, and the host the, the the host may say instead of a toast, the host may offer a prayer, yeah, a blessing okay. for the meal, yeah. and then the host figures, I'm done. Well, then you say the host. Uh, dear Mr. and Mrs. Host, may I offer a toast to thank you? Okay. And so you you you're sort of still acknowledging you're doing it to them. Can't Just you don't call them by them their real names? No, you have to call, call them Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Host. The only way you're allowed to talk to them if you're going to do this toast <laughs> is, right is Mrs. Host the ones who makes those it, those cupcakes? Yeah, the ones with the plastic chocolate <laughs> on the frosting. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and we, wine and food pairing for the hostess cupcake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, if and by the way, no matter how many, no matter how many hosts, a host, no matter how many toasts you've given, um, at some point. Um, don't overdo the toast. So if, if the host gives a short one and somebody else gives a short one, I, you're probably best off letting it go. You know, it's funny. There used to be a rule in Victorian dinner parties that the one person you could never toast was your spouse because it was, it created this very funny scene where someone would give a toast to his spouse and then every other husband in the uh, room yeah. figured, okay, yeah, yeah, now i got to do one. Yeah, yeah. And by the time they were done, everybody was under the table. Yes. And then, the, right, there you go. Well, um, and, and then somebody toasts somebody else his spouse, and now we've got yeah, a real problem really going on. Oh, it's, it. it's chaos. That's yeah, right. Yeah. You know, I'll are, thank you to toast your own spouse, right. sir. There are a couple of other little guidelines, too, by the way. Um, these are all, the, all the, the urban legends and myths, which is that your legs should not be crossed during a toast. Okay. You should look at everybody in the eye. Yes, that's true. You should clean everybody's glass. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the, and these come from different countries. Different countries have different right. connections. But or, the, one of them is you absolutely need to be looking at the other person right. when you clink glasses. And, and, right, and bad luck will befall you. And, you know, one of the one of the legends of the bad luck is that you'll have a year of bad sex. Yes. 
Yes, which we are not a sex yes. advice show, so we're going to move on on that. I'm just saying that. <laughs> You're full that, of medical advice today, <laughs> aren't that's you? That's one of those. <laughs> All right, moving on from toast, but still talking about Thanksgiving. So if you are a host, you are Mr. or Mrs. Host. I'll be Mr. Host. You be Mr. Host. Right. I'll be Mrs. Host. <laughs> we're, we're, we're having Thanksgiving dinner at our house. Yeah. What do we do about wine glasses? Now, if it's at your uh, house pre- uh, Pre the earthquake. earthquake. We had lots of choices. You just, you just, yeah, you just reach right. for whatever you got. That's right. But, you know, what do you think about it and what should you do and how, how seriously should you take your wine glasses? Um, this is really a lifestyle decision because if you're giving a big party and you don't have enough wine glasses, there's no real easy solution. I mean, I have a friend who got married and when she got married, she didn't have enough wine glasses. She went to the local thrift store store, the Goodwill or Salvation Army, and just bought a lot of these $1 Libby glasses, and everybody had a glass. And when she was done with the wedding, she donated them all back to Salvation Army, and it all went fine. It's hard to have, you know, if you've got a big Thanksgiving group coming to your house, and you got 12, 15 people, how many wine glasses do yeah. you have in yeah. your house? And they aren't all going to match. Yeah. So you just need to give everybody a wine glass that's somewhere between 6 and 12 ounces. And um, people will make do. Um, please don't think that, you know, your Thanksgiving dinner is going to live or die based on whether or not you can put 16 matching wine glasses out there. Yeah, and, and I completely agree. You know, the um, if you have a really good wine glass or two and you have a uh, like a cousin or an uncle who's a snob, make sure they don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's I mean, right. Give them plastic. Or, or you could do the Richard Nixon where you get the one really good glass <laughs> yes. and everybody else gets yes. something crummy. Yeah, you know, I have, I have uh, we've talked about this once before, I do have a glass with my name stenciled on it. It was uh -huh. it was a friend's birthday party. That, was, like, nice that was given to you to remind you after you'd had too much to drink Which who you are. Yeah, well, that's true, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm no, Rick. We actually have signs all over the house that says, you, the, guy, the ball guy, that's you, you're Rick. Your name is Rick. Yeah, that's uh, Excellent. And, and, and if you are uh, com coming to it, and we sort of answered these questions because we've talked about the wines that um, yep. they go. But if you're, if you're coming to somebody's house uh -huh. and you'd like to bring a wine. Yep. Anything in particular you would suggest for them to bring for Thanksgiving? Yes, I would suggest that they call up the host and say, what do you like drinking? Or nice. what, do you, what do you think would be a good wine to bring? So that they can then get back to you and say, you know, I've got six bottles of bubbly here, but I don't have any red wine. Great, I'll bring some red wine. Or they may say, we were thinking of serving scotch with our Thanksgiving dinner. And you can say, well, could I could I bring a bottle of wine instead? And so every it all works out. But ask the host. The host or the hostess is planning the menu. They know what's going on. Ask them. Yeah, and that's actually really, really good advice. You know, we tend not to do that, but it, it shows that you, you, you sort of care. And yeah, so um, absolutely. you may not really, but it, it, it makes it, it look no, like it's you do. Effort. It's yeah. an effort. And, right. and going back to that snob, you know, the one snob in your family, the one way to deal with him every Thanksgiving because you know whatever you bring, it's not going to be good enough Don't for him. invite him? No, no. Oh. He's in charge of the wine. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Is there something he could bring? Yes. Could you bring wine for the dinner? Yeah. And that way, everybody sits around the table, and he gets to tell everybody what great wines they are, and everybody gets to drink the wines, and we're done. Yeah. I kind of like that. I it's an like that. easy solution. Yeah, the other thing you do is if he's starting to show off, you say, hey, uh, Cousin Leroy, have you seen what we've been doing in our backyard? And when he walks out there, he closes the door and lock it. <laughs> and I just, I think that, I think that covers it. <laughs> All right, you're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. When we come back, more questions from listeners, and next week that could be you. Stay with us.
listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We're going back to our mailbag. And by the way, if you'd like to ask us a question that we can answer on the air or not answer, but give it a shot, we will give you credit. Go to rickandpaulwine.com. So we have a question from Julie Livingston in Pasadena. And um, Pasadena. Yeah, cool. God bless you, uh, Julie, because you are really maybe, maybe making a mistake here because you're asking us for the wrong kind of help. And let me read this. My I, I'm sorry. What would be the right kind of help we could offer anyone? Wine. Wine. Yeah. Okay. Have a glass of wine, Julie. Yeah, It'll this, be better. Well, you'll, you'll see. My okay. husband and I are having an argument, and we need your help. See what I mean? Ooh. We are not good with this sort of thing, but we will do what we can Ooh. to mess up your relationship. He says bouquet means just the wine smell, and it's snobby. I thought it had a specific meaning. I kind of don't care it, it, because it does sound snobby, but I think it is not just how the wine smells. Am I right? Um, in my experience, Rick, the wife is always right. Well, there that you go. is that is true in my house. So, I assume it's true in your house. Yeah, yeah. So Julie, you are right. Julie and, is right. Yes, you and win. there you go. Yeah. Uh, actually, yeah, bouquet does actually in the wine business. It actually means something kind of specific. Which, when you talk about the initial smell of the wine when it first gets put in the bottle, that's called the aroma. And that generally has to do primarily with the grapes. Bouquet is what develops in the bottle over time. And odor is what you smell when you're sitting next to Rick at a dinner table. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. You know, although, you know, it's really easy just to talk about how the wine smells and not fight with it. But, but yes, Julie, you do win. And it does have a very specific meaning. It's not just how the wine smells. So um, anytime you need advice with your relationship, we can tell you how to talk to him. That's, yes, that's, we can. That's what you and, do with us. Uh, yeah. All right. So this one is from a friend of mine, and I promised I wouldn't use her name. Ooh. It's a, really based an on— An anonymous question. Well, it's based on her tone. Okay. Um, it seems to me there are a lot of wines that are just stupid traditions around Thanksgiving, like all those sweet ones. Yeah. So you can tell she does not like sweet wines. Okay. I've had some wines that are as bad as the marshmallow casseroles. <laughs> and she doesn't like sweet food either, <laughs> Apparently so fair not. enough. Do I have to drink them when our host is running around pouring them into everyone's glass? Of course not. You uh, can drink whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah, what you do is you hand it to your snob cousin, Leroy, <laughs> and say, hey, Leroy, what do you think of this? No, what do you, what do you think of this bouquet? Yes. There yes. you go. See? Yeah, yeah, you do not. Um, and, you know, I mean, if if you can't, your host is running around and pouring it into your glass before you have a chance to get, you know, say thank you. Be nice. Don't call them stupid. But right. you can also dump them very, you know, quietly and, and go back to drinking. You know, dogs you love that kind of wine. <laughs> That's true. You know, you pour it in the dog's dish. You're fine. <laughs> and the one thing the one thing that she does raise here, which I think is a is a secondary point. I mean, she wants to know, do I have to drink what the host's pouring? And the answer is no. You can say, no, thank you. I'd prefer not to. But you can also suggest, imply that maybe the reason is you're trying to stay sober because you're the designated driver on the way home. And any host that doesn't pay attention to that's an idiot. But won't Mr. and Mrs. Host be suspicious as then when you go over in the corner and start chugging the champagne? Well, or when you walk home. Yeah. Oh, when you walk <laughs> home, right. yes. Well, thanks because you live next door, right? That's yeah, right. That, that causes some, some troubles. Well, I kind of like, I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's something worth talking about. Um, what do you do yeah. when the host pours you a wine that you don't like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, you say thank you very much. And you just sip it. Yeah. 
yeah. you sip it slowly and wait for something better to come along. Yeah. You know, now you and I are in the business, so we often go to a place where there will be four people at the table and everybody wants to bring a wine, so there are six or eight bottles of wine we all have to taste. And there's a spit bucket in the middle of the table. Yeah. I mean, there's an old champagne bucket and you taste a wine and you pour the rest of the glass in there because if you drank all four bottles that were assigned to you, you'd be dead. So, but in the in the more sedate room of normal life, kind of hard to ask for a spit bucket. Kind of hard to ask for. Do you mind? Do you, I'm just going to go to the restroom for a moment, and I'm taking my wine <laughs> yeah, glass with me. Yeah. All you can do is kind of limit what they pour you and say, yeah. "I'm going to yeah, hold off you on know, that." That move when somebody starts to pour you wine, you kind of do that wave across the glass, yes. like just a little bit, or you know, that's that's always everybody. Yep. Everybody respects that. Yes, you know, but but it's really it's you know even if you're trying to be nice about it, and it's it's unfortunate because even if you're nice about it, so you don't really like that wine. If you're with people that you don't have these kinds of discussions with more often yep. about wine, they're going to be a little offended, just a little bit, you know, yeah. you know, and just a little bit. And, yeah. and you'd rather not. So, well, you know so what they're going to do is they're going to say next year, if you don't like this wine, yeah. next year it, you bring yeah. the wine for a bit, which is okay because yeah. then you get to drink yeah. the wine you like. Yeah. You know, there's, there's one other trick I will tell you that I have done at large wine banquets and, and it, it yes, built large or, wines or large no, no, banquets large banquets where just, many wines are served and it gets back to the fact that while I love wine and I drink beer and I drink more water than you can imagine I don't drink coffee and often the table is preset with a coffee cup mm -hmm. and I have been known to take a glass that I didn't particularly enjoy and surreptitiously pour that into my coffee cup nobody can tell it just looks like dark something in the coffee cup and in the meantime I can pour it out and put something I like better in my wine glass right and then if you decide you want coffee you switch it with your wife's coffee cup right actually my wife does drink <laughs> coffee and that would, that would be a fatal mistake yeah, I think yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't get away with that one either <laughs> alright we're zip up the mailbag and moving on if you'd like to ask Ask us a question about wine or anything, go to rickandpaulwine.com. All one word, Rick and Paul Wine. Coming up, we have some food and wine pairings for you. Well, actually, we don't because we've been doing food and wine all all, um, sure. all shows. So you know sure. what we're going to do? We're going to do what we bring up now and then is our wine word of the week. We will ah. be right back. Stay with us. Listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Usually we do food and wine pairings to close the show or towards the end of the show, anyway, but we've been talking about food and wine the whole time. So we're going to go with another one of our occasional features, our wine word of the week. And I chose a word. Did you know? I did. I chose a word. Usually I okay. check with you on these things, Paul, but you know, okay. I chose a word because I think it this sort of fits our theme. Our word is noble rot. That's two words. Not if I say it fast. <laughs> no, no, no. That's no, two words. No, Although okay. you could have said botrytis, and that would be one word. And you know what botrytis means? Yeah, noble rot. You yeah, got it there. Yeah, but that's see, right. I was I was staying in the vernacular. You with these fancy pantsy science words. Well, yeah, but there. But, I mean, it is funny because because thinking that your grapes are going to get covered with this weird fungus strikes people as being odd. Yes, and we're going to tell you why this is really good, but the funny thing is is that it, when they do have this fungus, they get really ugly. They get this oh. gray, shriveled, and they, they look like they look like they're gonna, the monster in some science movie that they're going to they if they were going to come like, to life. Like you say early in the morning. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like me say early in the morning. You, you've seen the gray fungus. That's true. That's true. But what it is actually is something that affects the flavors of the grapes in a way right. that any other kind of, of, of or, uh, fungus does not. 
Right. That's right. Because noble rot, botrytis, is, is a fungus that grows, and, and it is most famous in Bordeaux, where it grows on the grapes where they make Sauternes wines. And what it does is as it grows on the outsides of the grapes, it actually doesn't smell moldy. It actually smells a little bit like honey. Mm-hmm. And as it adds that smell to the grape, it actually also dehydrates. It desiccates. It sucks out. The, it consumes the water inside the grape. So what you have that this really does, concentrated concentrated right flavors, yeah. concentrated acidity, concentrated sugar. Add honey to the top of that, and you've got something that is almost impossible to make into wine. Yeah, and we were talking earlier about the dessert wines that go yeah. so well with Thanksgiving dinner, and this is that's why I chose it for this show because that's you know there are plenty of late harvest dessert wines you know right. and but but when you get a betri- they call it betritocized when yes. you get a, a wine with noble rot it has a special magic to it yep. it's got that honey and it also actually affects the fermentation in a way that oh, yeah. can can give it, it, it so it, these grapes can still have a little bit of snap to them so you have this all this great sweetness but it's still a little bit well, of a it still concentrates the acid yeah, as well as the sugar yeah. but it it's really hard to make this wine i mean it's one of the reasons these wines are so expensive cuz first First of all, you're sucking all the, the water. So you're basically sucking all the juice out of the grapes. So you may start with enough grapes that might make a thousand cases of wine, but by the time the noble rots through with it, now you're down to 200. Right. Now, the next thing that happens is after you pick them, and, and some of the vineyards in Bordeaux, they don't just pick the vineyard, they literally pick grape by grape. Right, the really so expensive. So they only right. go through and pick the ones that have the right amount of rot, and they wait two more days and they go back. Some of these people pick five, seven, 12, 15 times through the same vineyard. So you can imagine, instead of picking whole bunches, they're picking berry by berry. And sometimes they don't get enough noble rot, they don't, and so they, right. don't, they don't have a crop. Yeah. You know, but and once, ca- you, once you get those grapes into the winery, and I, there's a very funny story, well, maybe not so funny to one of the guys, but I know a winemaker who discovered in a little back corner down by the river of his vineyard in Napa that he had some Chardonnay many years ago. Right. I was going to say California has this, too. So it's not just French wines. That's right. right. And he found some that actually had some noble rot. And and he thought, great, I'm going to pick this and try to make a really great sweet wine out of it. The problem was by the time he picked that little block of vineyard, there were almost no grapes. And the only equipment he had at his winery was set up for handling the full vineyard. So he actually calls a friend of his and said, can I borrow, can I bring some grapes over and press them? Because my press is so big, these grapes would get lost inside of it. Friend says, sure, no problem. They zip the wines over to the next door winery, put them in his little tiny press, and they crank up the pressure and no juice comes out. Mm. And they crank Mm. up the pressure again and no juice comes out. And they crank up the pressure again and the press breaks. Oh, and everybody cries. And then my friend's sitting there thinking, okay, he was running the press, not me. Do I have to pay for right. his? <laughs> this is like the old story, you know. If you borrow your friend's car and somebody else crashes it, that's yeah, right. right. So, any, yeah. but so then after you press it, you get tiny little amount of juice, and mm-hmm. then of course it's so sweet that it's hard for the yeast to get started. It's hard to make this wine. Yeah, and you know, and and even other late harvest wines that are not uh, noble, and, and and this only happens late in the year. And that, you know, 
I always get this question of why do like those the sweet wines sometimes cost so much? And one right. of the reasons those well, late harvest yeah. wines are risky. Remember, they're they're going later into the season, and yep. so they yep. need weather to be just right. They need yep. the, the 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 animals and the bugs and everything not to get to them. They need things to work out, and and, and they need the noble rot to get to them, and not any other rot to get. And to them. And not any other rot that's to right. get to them. That's yeah. right. Okay, so right. I, with all of this, and we keep talking about these as great wines for Thanksgiving dessert. I do need to bring up a point, which is my dear friend Aline Bali at Chateau Coutet in Sauterne always says these are not dessert wines. They are golden wines. Well, and in fact, she serves Sauterne with turkey dinner. She serves them with foie gras. She serves them with lots of different things way before dessert because they're delicious with all sorts of different well, foods. Well, and that goes back to actually what we were talking about earlier. So now we do have a bit of a food and wine pairing moment because cool. those those rich, sweet wines are really good with some of those foods that come out at the beginning. Cheeses, sure. rich cheeses like a brie or or even a blue cheese and, yep. and some of the dessert wines or the sweeter wines. Yep. The, what did she call them? The these Golden wines. The golden wines. They're golden wines. Yeah. And those are also wines that, that can be spectacular with, with some of those some of those kinds of foods. It's sort of an odd way of thinking, but but in often the, the those really well made sweeter wines can be really versatile for a lot of different well, Rick, kinds of Well, Rick, let's food. be fair, we're in a country where people drink root beer with pizza. So why wouldn't they want to drink a sweet wine with their dinner? I mean, that's part of what this country does. We drink Coca-Cola with a hamburger. So why not have a sweet wine with turkey? Well, that's true. And, you know, or, or Asian food. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're mm-hmm. straying from, from the Thanksgiving yeah, meal, but those those meals that have any sweetness I, I once traveled around the country with the owner of Chateau de Quem, which is the greatest of all Sauterne wines from right. Bordeaux. Right, right, right. And my job was to travel around the country and have lunch and dinner with him with a group of journalists. You were well, you you were the marketing guy with them. Was I was right? yeah. I was his yeah, I was his Tough. his handler. Nice. Right. Nice. And we had this stuff with the appetizer, with the main course and with the dessert, different vintages, man. And I will always remember one attractive young woman turning to him and saying, But Mr. Salus, um Lursalus, you have you have served it with this, you've served it with that. What is your favorite way to drink? the golden wine of Sauterne. And he looks her straight in the eye and says, I like to lick it from the navel of a beautiful woman. Ah, good, good. I think that would uh, that would get him in there trouble in this go. country. See? Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. that's probably not for Thanksgiving dinner, though. Yes, that is not. We, uh, we, that's, actually, I've seen the... Um, the, <laughs> no, the, the no, I'm not what even, have you I'm seen? I'm not even... I, you know what? <laughs> we, we think of ourselves as a more or less family show. More a family show. We are not going to... We're not to enter into that, uh, that realm at all. But that is... I, I, but make that point again because, you know, we had a, a question about not liking those sweet, sweet wines. wines. And, that's right. And I think, I think she was talking about... Um, you know, like the more like the Gewurztraminers and the and sweeter Rieslings yeah. and things like that. But there are people who don't like sweet wine. Yeah, and you're That's totally okay. it's totally okay to not like them. But but as I always say, you know, drink the wines that you like, but let but let people tell you what to try. And if you haven't tried a really nice dessert wine, I will tell you, I know another person who does not like them. Mm-hmm. My wife, ah. and who's a very good palate, but she's got she's got well, what? her judgment is not perfect. I was going to say she's got some holes in her judgment. One of them was marrying me; the other was comes the sweet wines, and she doesn't. Neither one of them really can speak well for her because. But she, I have tried. I have tasted her through. I've tried to 
fool her into tra- to, to yep. and yep. you know and if you don't like it you don't like it but 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 don't think of them as little kid wines don't think of them as oh, no. junk wines some of the greatest wines some, in the world some absolutely beautiful wines and they can yep. also go with so much that you have yep. especially during Thanksgiving so yep. so think of them as uh, as food that you might uh, wines that you just might. a whole different little journey you can take that's right, a whole different journey. Um, we are, of course, a whole journey, um, and we thank you for, for joining us this week. That is another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our engineer is Matt Bassini. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use. If you'd like to ask us a question that can go on the show, we can try to answer it, or we'll probably just bungle around with it, but we will try to answer <laughs> it. Go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. We will always be nice, if nothing else. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's don't let wine be a stress point on Thanksgiving because the Lord knows. There's enough you. of them already. There's enough of them already. I'm Including Rick your Aunt Larry. That's why uh, I was going to say my family, <laughs> but I was trying to be nice. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. And remember the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially with us. Especially with us.